Content warning, sexism, eugenics, genocide, totalitarianism, violence against women, and so many cops. So many cops. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Kimball Kinnison von Hohendorf barked. Front and center, the oath, sir. Before the omnipotent witness, I promise never to lower the standard of the galactic patrol, Kinnison said reverently, and bearing his arm, thrust it into the hollow form. From a small container labeled Number One, Kimball Kinnison, the commandant shook out what was apparently an ornament, a lenticular jewel fabricated of hundreds of tiny, dead white gems. Taking it up with a pair of insulated forceps, he touched it momentarily to the bronze skin of the arm before him, and at that fleeting contact, a flash as of many-colored fire swept over the stones. Satisfied, he dropped the jewel into a recess provided for it in the mechanism, which at once burst into activity. The forearm was wrapped in thick insulation, molds and shields snapped into place, and there flared out an instantly suppressed flash of brilliance intolerable. Then the molds fell apart, the insulation was removed, and there was revealed the lens, clasped to Kinnison's brawny wrist by a bracelet of imperishable, almost unbreakable metal in which it was embedded, it shone in all its lambent splendor, no longer a whitely inert piece of jewelry, but a lenticular polychrome of writhing, almost fluid radiance, which proclaimed to all the observers and symbols of ever-changing flame that here was a lensman of the Galactic Patrol. Hello, welcome to What Mad Universe, and we're always we're here once again after a bit of a delay, but in brightest day and blackest night, we always come <laughs> back. <laughs> I'm Adam Prosser. With me, as always, is Philip Rice. Hello. And uh, today we're looking at one that we've been we've sort of had in the docket since the first season. It was a uh, it was one I pretty much wrote down right away as one that I knew we wanted to look at as uh, one of the seminal series of 20th century sci-fi the lensman series by e elmer e e doc smith um it's a uh it's in some ways it is the model of space opera it's it's sort of the the absolute go-to space opera uh of the early to mid 20th century um, it's got basically everything you think of when you think of somewhat cheesy space opera and sci-fi stuff. Uh, it's influenced basically everything. Um, most notably, Green Lantern uh, was very definitely inspired by this to a degree. Uh, oh, but uh, also specifically the, the Silver Age Green Lantern. 
Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah it would have been. The Golden Age Green Lantern uh, had a magic ring that was uh, from carved out of a, an ancient lantern that, that fell down from a meteorite that was carved out of a meteorite. Um, right. The the Silver Age one was reimagined, so same basic powers, but it was now a, a sci-fi concept, and it's an intergalactic right. police force. Right. Um, an intergalactic police force, and the ring could shape the will of its users, and that is not precisely what's in these books, but it's it's uh, you can definitely see they they sort of extrapolated it from this. Um, the original uh, Green Golden Age Green Lantern would have been only a year or two after the original. Uh, books were published. Uh, these books were actually published uh, initially in around, I believe, 1937, 1938. They were serialized in uh, Amazing, but also I think they briefly appeared in Astounding before uh, W. John Campbell became the editor, um, when they were maybe a little, it was a little less hard sci-fi. Um, and then after, uh, much later, uh, basically they were they were fixed up into a series of novels uh, with a lot of stuff rewritten and changed. And uh, two prequel novels were actually written. Uh, actually, well, to be more precise, a novel uh, Smith had already written was rewritten to be part of the Lensman continuity. And then a new novel was written to bridge the continuity. And then there were four, there were three existing novels and uh, a fifth one, or sorry, a sixth one uh, was, uh, sorry, no, the sixth one did actually exist. Uh, in advance, but he again heavily rewrote it. Um, but up till that point, um, they had uh, been a little looser, and they were they sort of they 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 had an early retcon. It it really is a comic book uh, feeling in that regard. Um, it the series is about a bunch of as as Philip said, space cops uh, who have a uh, a, a powerful thing called the lens, which isn't as powerful as the Green Lantern ring, but it does allow you to project your will power uh, initially and through telepathic uh, telepathic um, projection, but then later it lets you do things like mental bolts of force. Uh, some people have actually said they may have inspired the Jedi as well in Star Wars, which of course uh, was drawing from um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the old pulp novels as well um you know the jedi are framed as a bit more mystical and stuff but you know as as initially conceived they were kind of space cops in their own weird way so it's not completely out of sync to say that might have been an inspiration as well um but yeah so there were six novels in the series te technically there's a seventh uh which i didn't read because it's not actually a lensman novel it's just set in the same universe uh so i can't really speak to that one uh, but uh, yeah, it's it, and it was a extremely extremely influential uh, series, the uh, the Lensman books. Um, so, do you know anything about these books at all? Uh, well, uh, I started the first uh, first Lensman. I think that's the first one in the chronologically, right? Uh, the first book to have been written was Galactic. No, no, Patrol. not the first to be written, but the first in the like. In the series, like the prequel one. The first book is called Triplanetary. Uh, the second book, which is essentially a prequel to all the Lensman stuff. The second book, again, in if you're reading in reading order, is First Lensman. But that's um, that's actually well, not the first Tri First Lensman. Triplanetary was incorporated into First Lensman, is my understanding. No, Triplanetary is a separate book. 
but it, it was a separate it was a separate novel that he wrote, uh, and then it was yeah folded into the Lensman continuity. And as I say, uh, as I mentioned, like he'd written tr- uh, uh, Triplanetary, and he'd written the book starting with um, uh, Galactic Patrol, Gray Lensman, Second Stage Lensman, and Children of the Lens. Uh, but then he went back, uh, folded Triplanetary into the series. Uh, and he wrote First Lensman as a bridging novel. So in a sense, okay. First, First Lensman is the newest of all the se- of the entire series. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I started First Lensman because that was the first in the uh, in the very cheap package that I got off of Amazon. Uh, right. <laughs> a very cheap ebook package um, of all of all seven books, but um, yeah, I didn't get that far into it. Um, we, I, I had started reading it for the podcast when we were going to be, uh, you know, the previous format, way back in the first season. It was just taking me forever to get through this one book, and it just, there were six books ahead, and I was just, uh, I was, I don't, I don't know, it was something about it just um, did not interest me. And I've read another book by this author that I liked more, so I don't know oh, what yeah. it was about it. What um, was the book that you read that you liked more? Uh, it was called uh, Space Hounds of IPC, or ICP. Yeah, IPC. Um, <laughs> the Insane Inter- Clown Posse. <laughs> uh, sorry, um, the uh, Interplanetary Corporation is the ah. is what that stands for. Um, it was. I mean, uh, I would read Space Hounds of the uh, Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Would you though? I, I've seen I've seen their their <laughs> Western movie. It's it's not very good. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what was it? Big Money Rustlers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's also a space opera, um, set in a different continuity. Um, it's notable for being the first, uh, story to include the term tractor beam, um, which obviously has been used elsewhere. No, most notably Star Trek. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's set in a, um, it's all set in the the solar system, but each planet is inhabited um, by uh, uh, most of them by a uh, variation of humans. So the idea is humans have evolved separately on each planet, but because of the different conditions on each planet, they look different and have different effects, but they're all basically human. Um, Say the Martians have like uh, coarser skin and like for to survive in the harsh environment and venusians can only breathe in their atmosphere and that sort of thing um and the threat is the um uh jupiter has a um different species uh one of which is uh the um they were called the haxans or the uh, hexans uh sorry it's been a while um who were uh a um four-armed uh red-skinned, I believe, race of uh, beings who just instinctively hated um, all other species and wanted to destroy them. Um, Mm. And uh, with Jupiter, um, so they evolved on the surface of Jupiter, but also on each of Jupiter's moons, like, again, independently, but with, you know, say, the gravity affecting them differently, so they're different sizes and that sort of thing. Um, Anyway, it was was kind of interesting. Um, I mostly remembered it for um, it was pretty sexist uh, in its treatment of female characters, and uh, the thing I mostly remember from it that amused me was 
I was very confused in the early chapters because they kept referring to the computer as a person, and I thought they were like talking to a computer. But no, it's just a the guy who does computations. <laughs> and well, it took me a while to figure out that that's what he meant. <laughs> that's ironically you've descri- described Dune, in which the computer is a person. The Mentat is a computer. <laughs> no, no, computer. but in this case, it's like yeah. just like he's a person who computes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, it's funny because everything else you you said uh, really describes this series to a T. Um, the idea that you know most other races are just going to be human in one style or another. Um, the fact that there's you know life on uh, within the solar system uh, in in this uh, series, the, the Lensman series, there's um, Martians and Venusians, and actually he mentions Jupiterians, although it's unclear whether they're supposed to have been humans who colonized Jupiter and had their own civilization going. Um, <clears throat> again, just to be clear, we're doing uh, this. Our new format is that uh, I've read the books in question. Phil has not. We're going to one of us is going to read it, and the other one's going to interview them, unless they've perhaps read something tang- or read a part of it or tangentially related mm. to it so phil hasn't actually read the lensman series but uh yeah as he says, um, he's read this other I, i've series. uh whichever one i did read uh it was basically a long uh prequel thing um starting with the beginning of the universe and then going into like atlantis and roman yes. times and stuff so i don't yeah, know that's tri that that's triplanetary um okay well, it was mislabeled in whatever i was reading so yeah well as you say i mean it's it's a little bit it, it's what's called a fix-up novel in that they took uh short stories or serialized stories from uh the pulps and they uh put it in uh they they chopped it up and uh put it in novel form and did a lot of rewriting along the way and um yeah, it, it is true, and in fact, this is the thing that has apparently stymied a few people who try to read the Lensman series from the beginning, because it really is irrelevant. Well, it's not irrelevant. It's relevant to the plot. Uh, it establishes that there are these two cosmic forces. Uh, the Arisians, who are sort of uh, godlike entities, they're wise and just, and, and they they care about thought, and above all, and mind, and and uh, about, uh, you know, contemplating the cosmic all, as they call it. And um, there's another race called the Adorians, who are pure evil. Uh, they actually come from another universe which intersects ours, and they get stuck in our universe. They come from a universe where uh, there actually isn't any other life or even any other planets. Um, they evolve on that planet. They're, they're uh, I guess, a, amoeboid. His descriptions are not great, uh, <laughs> Smith. Um, but he, he yeah, they, they're apparently very uh, alien and shapeshifty and and strange um dis- yeah they're described somewhat as being uh made up of protoplasm and 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 uh and tentacles and so forth um they believe in just sort of the domination of everything and and they start by trying to dominate each other um they get to the point where they're essentially unkillable and super powered and incredibly strong mentally and physically and they're sort of, they're all trying to take each other down constantly and for for millennia they do this and finally they intersect with our universe and they realize that you know there's got to make a stalemate because they're just going to wipe each other themselves out uh and then they realize that life could start to arise in our galaxy or in our universe uh so if they sort of tend it it they'll they'll raise all these other lesser life forms which they can then dominate and have power over um and so triplanetary and the Arisians get wind of this and decide they're going to to stop it and they're going to push back against the Adorians. 
Um, and so Triplanetary is sort of a whirlwind history of, you know, it stops in ancient Rome and so forth, um, in which, you know, you, you had this uh, struggling towards civilization on Earth and all the other planets, but of course we focus on Earth. Um, or Tellus, as it's called repeatedly in this. He's, Earthlings are Tellurians in this series. It's, it's a little weird. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, so they're focused on, um, uh, developing, you know, the human race and, and, you know, undermining our civilization and making us weak mostly. Um, whereas the Arisians are secretly working in the backgrounds. But in both cases, they kind of inhabit human bodies and they, and they tweak them and push them in the right or the wrong directions. Uh, and that's been playing out. There was, as you say, an Atlantis uh, in this world, uh, which was very much like our world, uh, like our civilization. It was it was Battlestar Galactica-esque in that what we <laughs> see of it, it's fairly indistinguishable from uh, our civilization or maybe what the sci-fi writers of the time imagined our civilization was going to be like uh, I, I remember shortly. there was some uh, very clunky uh, political commentary with the... Um... Um, different factions in Atlantis, like one yeah. clearly, like I think his name was like Marxist or something. Yeah, yeah, he was clearly <laughs> meant. To, yeah, he was meant to literally be a Marxist, which I, and he, I, it's weird because later on he comes out full throatedly against communism, but it didn't feel like he was too anti-communist when he wrote that part. Uh, again, that might be one of these parts that was written in 1937, and then when he rewrote it in 1950, he kind of took a different tack. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's very strange that he he throws that in there that all the different advisors seem to represent different political philosophies, and one of them's explicitly a Marxist, but like a the Atlantean equivalent of a Marxist. Um, anyway, there's a and that whole s- sequence doesn't go anywhere either. It just it plays out, and Atlantis wipes yeah, itself off Atl- the map. Yeah, Atlantis gets nuked. Uh. <laughs> yeah, which is I mean it's it's meant to be kind of a foreshadowing of where we could be going if we're not careful and like what the the kind of thing the adorians do when they're not when if you know if they're left unchecked that's that's basically it's sort of saying this is what we're this is what we're up against as it were and then it it flashes forward to the uh, then yeah, it goes to uh, world uh, war oh i just wanted to say uh um because i read this part so i might as well comment on it um mm-hmm. like you said it's basically indistinguishable from modern civilization i was very Put off by the uh, the quippiness of oh, characters God. from ancient Atlantis, and I I imagine that continues into the. Uh... <laughs> oh boy, does it ever! Uh, yes, he works very very hard to be at quote snappy dialogue, and he's not that good at it, unfortunately. Um, he thinks uh, he he's yeah he's trying very hard to have you know the the guy and the girl who are you know who are snapping at each other and they secretly like each other, although. I'll get to it in a minute, but that's got a bit of a weird wrinkle to it. But so he's trying um, to do like the screwball comedy thing where they're like, right, exactly, you know, which of course was popular. And, yeah, yeah, popular in the 30s and 40s, which is when they were initially written. And yeah, he's not anywhere as good at that. He gets very awkward um, uh, examples. There was one turn of phrase I thought was <laughs> pretty damn funny. At one point, he describes a you know a, a woman who is like an evil woman they're trying to they're trying to go up against is she's so low she could put on a tall silk hat and walk under a duck (laughs) (laughs) i was like okay 
props. That was pretty funny. Um, but uh, yeah, a but lot of it probably is probably not is... for the way it was intended. <laughs> like, no, know. no, I th- that was meant to be funny. So that okay. that's like I'll I'll give him that. That's the one that lands. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is very uh, very attempting to be attempting to be quick quippy to the point where he act. We actually kind of sometimes lose the thread of what they're trying to say they're they're working so hard at being quippy um there's also it also does tend to turn into like when it's it's a guy and a girl the guy will start saying like well i had a regular beautiful neck if it wasn't right you know blah 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 like like yeah, yeah. Threats I, remember, and things. I remember that in, in space hounds that was a um, uh yeah very very sexist attitudes um you know yeah. it's set in the future but like you know mm-hmm. the the it's the poly you know um gender politics of the 1930s you know it's yeah. it's not great no, 19 let's let's yeah 1937 and 1950 are i.e the two eras when it was written and again it's inter- it would be interesting i, I didn't have Space time Hounds to go in 50s uh one yeah. second um no no uh 31 yeah it, it would be i mean he was writing since uh smith was actually writing since 1915 apparently he he was really going at it for a long time um it's definitely um I don't want to say it's, you know, it started this trend, uh, but it's definitely emblematic of what I seem to have noticed that, you know, when you look at Victorian science fiction and early 20th century science fiction, possibly all the way up to World War II, um, you see science fiction that is very much built around, well, how crazy will it be in the future? What will different societies be like? Even when it's Gulliver's Travels and it's kind of a satire or, or tweaking our own society, uh, it's it's meant to be this very different society from ours, and and reflecting how that you know how that would uh, how how that would play out. Um, this is where you start to see a very conservative mindset of you know the future will be America in space, and it'll be the post World War II idea of America of you know two point five kids and the wife in pearls at home and. A, Cadillac, a space Cadillac in every space driveway, like mm-hmm. that kind of attitude. Like it's it's promoting a a paradigm of what life is supposed to be. Uh, you know, it's like it was written by Don Draper, as it were. Uh, <laughs> whereas, you know, it, it it's and it, it it it. I mean, obviously, a lot of science fiction was still interested in expanding horizons and and creating what could be, you know, strange new worlds and so on. But um, in this case, it's very much like, well, let's. What's the future going to be? Well, it's going to be American, you know. <laughs> it's that <laughs> attitude, and again, you see that all the way to Star Trek, where you know the Federation in many ways is space America, and it it just they they were right off of winning World War II, and they couldn't imagine that it wasn't going to be smooth sailing from here into a golden future in which Pax Americana takes us to the stars, even when explicitly that goes against you know some of the basic premises, uh, as it were. Um, and I I, I want to say this is a huge influence on that. It might not be the first or the root of all that, but it, it's definitely this idea of uh, Pax Americana in space. If you you, you understand what I mean by that, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of America, there's nothing more American than ads. So let's listen to a few, and we'll be right back with What Mad Universe. Hey, Benito. I've been reading the Bible lately, and nobody ever told me how many talking dogs and wizard battles were in this thing. Well, Chris, you know what I always say. If you can understand Star Wars, you can understand the Bible. Apocrypals, part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, you know what's better than video games and beer? Cat videos? B. Arthur? Incorrect! Nothing! The answer is absolutely nothing! All right, all right. You know, actually, I do think you're right. Agreed. We're here at the Dogcast. We podcast about video games and beer. And beer and video games! Available weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. B. Arthur? Yes. And it, to that end, it is explicitly and very explicitly about space cops. Um, they are space cops. There's not, I'm not like extrapolating. They are explicitly, it's about the police in outer space doing police things, usually busting up drug rings, except that behind the drug rings and the gangsters, there is, you know, a threat to all of civilization. And they are the emblems of civilization and they are holding together civilization via law and order and their enemies are pure evil and want to destroy civilization uh through again racketeering and and drugs and and you know anyone who doesn't get on board with the project of law and order and civilization is obviously either evil or being manipulated by the evil people um you know which gets unpleasant needless to say it gets Mm -hmm. uh it gets uh you know, you are. It is. It is very much the cop mindset in uh, in sci-fi. It's it's the idea that you know there's a right way to do things, and it's it's the the way that all every red-blooded, square-jawed American will do it, kind of thing, um, without a lot of uh, leeway. When you combine that with stuff like the sexism, which you've already noticed, uh, you've already noted, um, it does get. It's it's it, the politics are what I would basically describe as um, Truman. Democrat, uh, they are <laughs> they're they're not like mean spirited, but they are you know, and they do they do celebrate like the reason they're doing all this fighting is for equality and liberty and you know like the the, the American values and all that stuff. Um, but they have to do it with a strong hand. They do it with the mailed fist. He even says that at one point, the mailed fist of justice. Um, so it's not even that they. You know, it, it, there's a there's a I guess a discontinuity between their professed values and how they go about doing things because they will wipe they will commit genocide. <laughs> they do that a couple times, and it's it's okay because the beings were pure evil and they wanted to genocide us. Although actually, now that I think about it, the evil beings don't usually commit genocide; they just want to like torture and feed off us and manipulate us in evil ways. Um, but uh, they will just wipe out, they'll throw, by the end, they're literally launching planets into each other to wipe out the enemy planets. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, and it's okay because they're, you know, like they'll, they'll be talk of, wow, what's horrible destruction we've, we've wrought, but it's something that, oh, it has to be done because you have to, you have to get the, the bad guys, you know, that you've got to, you've got to bring them down and you've got to, you, you've got to, you know, make everyone get in line and 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 um in particular first lensman uh more so than the others and and like i say that's the most recently written one that kind of becomes a prequel and sort of locks in everything else uh, they're very explicitly <laughs> political um uh i i was reminded of some um you know, you know the heroes doing uh, or contemplating doing really um egregious things uh has been done in uh better uh, as far as i can tell in other science fiction i just wanted to talk about a few say uh doctor who um 
classic Tom Baker story, Genesis of the Daleks, where um, he contemplates stopping mm-hmm. the Daleks from, or like wiping out the Daleks before they, you know, through time travel means and stuff. Right. Before they, and talking about whether he, uh, he has the right to do that, um, even though it's just uh, um, a couple individual Daleks at this point, whether he has the right to wipe out an entire species. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, say uh, Deep Space Nine often had um, Cisco, you know, doing really um, uh, morally questionable things, but the show sort of understood that. Um, right. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. There is. There's very little acknowledgement of that in this. They don't go. He he doesn't go. You know. Oh, are we right to wipe out a race? It's just no. There's evil alien races, and they have to be destroyed. The overlords of uh, Delgon, I believe they're called, uh, are revealed as this race of mental. Uh, horrible uh, entities that feed off pain of others. I mean, they're really bad, uh, but then it's like, yeah, they just have to be wiped out. There's no there's no chance that we're going to like reconcile with them and have peace eventually. Now, I do want to say there is some weird... There are some weird wrinkles to this, because um, the aliens are often portrayed as very alien um, and very unlike human, and with values that are very much unlike humans. But a lot of them become friendly, and they become lensmen. Um, in particular, uh, Wessel, who is a um, uh, a, a weird uh, fish, uh, sorry, a weird snake monster of some kind, um, he becomes like a good pal. Uh, Kim Kimison, Kim Kinison is the uh, the hero of most of the books. Uh, he appears in the third book, and he's um, his uh, his his Worsel's basically a sidekick, and they become really good friends. And he's described as being this hideous, you know, bug-eyed alien snake monster with wings, dragon Cthulhu thing. Uh, but they're they're good pals. Uh, there are other alien races that are described as being like unemotional and like they kind of go, oh yeah, we, we, we you I was going to kill you, but then I decided you were interesting, and then eventually they become friends. They get along. The alien race that invades in. Um, in uh, Triplanetary are called the Nevians, and it's funny, they have them, like, fighting each other to the death. Wipe, he, the hero, you know, the, the Nevians crush a bunch of Earth cities, and the, the hero corresponds by wiping out several Nevian cities, and then after all that's over, he's sort of saying to his girlfriend, even as they're fighting them, actually, he's like, you know, I think this is a misunderstanding. I think we can get along once all this is over, but we just need to show them what we're, that we're sentient beings and we're, we're willing to fight and so on and so forth. And by all, oddly enough, the Nevians don't come back. They, they're not a major part of the story after that. But that's the general consensus throughout the story of like, yeah, they'll fight horribly. And then when everything's said and done, they'll just be like, well, buds now? Yeah, we're buds. So well, I mean, it's, it, it sort of makes sense coming after World War Two. I don't, I right. don't know, because um, um, trying to you know uh, restructure German and uh, and uh, Japanese society. Um, I don't know. It, it sort of fits with that whole uh, mindset from the time. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That's that's definitely what's uh, it, what's uh, impacting it. It's the idea of post World War II. It's like we just we're trying to murder each other's countries, and now we've got to make peace and patch up. It's similar to what we mentioned in Starship Troopers, where Heinlein explicitly has like a German and a Japanese guy in the Earth core and shows them as being, you know, worthwhile and noble and everything to sort of say, you know, hey, that the war's over now. We can we can be friends. Uh, so that idea to, is to there. To get those space commies. <laughs> to get the space Exactly, yeah. That's that's what it is. And and um, 
I wouldn't say anything in this uh, story is like space commies. There's a point later on where he just says like communism. Oh yeah, it's a form of authoritarianism that was in Earth's history and it doesn't work. Uh, he calls that out. Uh, there's nothing else. Like I wouldn't say the bad guys in this are space commies. They're space criminals. Uh, they mm-hmm. they're explicitly space pirates at first, uh, and they do kind of sneak around and undermine civilizations in a way that you know com- communists are are portrayed as doing during the Cold War. Uh, but it's it's a bit of a stretch, I think, to say that it's got oh, that I, kind I of meant attitude. Starship Troopers specifically with that comment, but. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But but I'm also saying, like, I was looking for that in this, because it's got mm-hmm. a very similar mindset to Spaceship Tro- Starship Troopers in some ways. Um, and it, you know, it, 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 uh, it, uh, it, it doesn't have that level of it. But it does definitely have, like I said, this idea that, you, you know, law and order, and you got to stick to the law, and there's no excuse for not sticking to the law. And, and now, so here's the thing. The Lensmen are given their lenses by the Arisians. Basically, you travel to Arisia, uh, they they sort of judge you worthy or not, and they give you a lens, and that's the only time you ever talk to them. And except and later, Kim uh, is the he's because he's the second stage lensman. Uh, he gets to go and and receive additional training. Um, but um, and the because the Arisians are slowly breeding uh, like two lineages of humans that are eventually going to come together to produce the ultimate lensmen. Uh, that's actually the, one of the other big reasons they go all the way back to Atlantis and have that that history there um, that they've been sort of been bred by the Arisians. But um, First Lensman has a lot of very explicit stuff about how um, they are the uh, <laughs> they have to get involved in politics. We taught it's so funny again. You, you can't help thinking of the people who go, oh, why do they have to put politics and everything? Like unlike the good old sci-fi space operas of yesterday and. As we've seen repeatedly, like with Angels of the Revolution and, and Starship Troopers and things like that, the, the authors are always going to dump their politics in there, like very explicitly. And uh, here it's not even as explicit as related to our society, but there is the much of First Lensman, as much, more, almost more than it is a space opera, it's a political drama uh, in which we learn that one of the other... Um, uh, uh, par- political parties, the nationalists as they're called, uh, are basically working for for a cr- the crime syndicate who are working for the Adorians and who are there to, you know, basically prevent Earth from joining any kind of galactic alliance and going outside of Earth and going to the stars. And um, it's also that they're, they're um, yeah, being undermined by the Adorians, like I said. Um, so th- but they're they're pretty explicitly, and it's funny because they're insular, they're nationalists, as the name would imply. Uh, but they're also explicitly tied in and 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 uh, associated with the left. Uh, he says the left wing of the nationalist party, so it's not clear if he just means the left wing of that party or if he means the left in general. Uh, but he also has the yeah, the, that's the, confusing because like even the Nazis had like a left wing of their party, which right. is still you know. <laughs> And the and the good guys the the lensmen become like their their party which they and then it hinges on them trying to win the election and and put what are called the cosmocrats in power. Oh, um, and and uh, the that's uh, not a which, good name. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and they're 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 uh, they're reflected in the sense that they are um, trying to get us to join the greater galaxy. That's kind of their defining feature. But he also has Morgan, the villainous politician, who's the, the sort of the puppet master of everything. He's not the president, but he's the, he's the guy who's been controlling 
politics on earth for a long time. Uh, he's very much um, like a demagogue. He talks about how, oh, you working people are being crushed by the powerful forces in, in power and, and they're trying to keep you down. Uh, which is, of course, the rhetoric that we hear all across the political spectrum as a, as a negative thing. Um, it does kind of feel like Smith is a little dismissive of how that could even be a serious concern because he has established the lensman as these all-powerful uh, un, you know, entities with no, uh, with nothing controlling them, no authority over top of them, except the Arisians, who are these detached godlike beings who who just know what's best for everyone. Supposedly, they give people lenses. They talk a lot, especially in First Lensman, about how the lens are going to be the best. Only the best of the best of the best are going to get the lens. The people who have all the natural qualities we need. The people with the, you know, again, ally Green Lantern, it seems to be willpower is the main thing that lens needs. Although he talks about how it, with aliens it's different and they have different attitudes. Like one, one race is explicitly very cowardly and avoids physical confrontation, and that's a virtue to them. Uh, but they still produce a lensman, right? Like, it's, it's, um, it's not clear-cut necessarily but he does say that you know like they're these they're the best of the best and they're again they're the they're the very stereotypical square-jawed fast-talking uh brave and bold and empathic people and they're the best of the best of the best so they're just naturally designed to rule like of course they should rule mm. society like they should be in charge obviously and they and they believe in law and order and obviously and no and and anyone who questions this is bad as a bad guy and they're working for this Morgan who's trying to undermine civilization and society. It's like, there's not even a second of just contemplation of, hey, maybe from the perspective of a good faith person, this does seem a little screwy <laughs> that there's someone who says they've got, you know, they should have all the power and we, we just know what's best for everyone. And we're, we, we were told to by a bunch of godlike entities, essentially. Um, yeah, um, I, I'm thinking of uh, like contrasting this with the Guardians in, in Green Lantern. Who are the mm -hmm. sort of equivalent of the uh, the Arisians, um, and they're uh, at least uh, post seventies and eighties. They're um, not universally, but uh, often questioned uh, from uh, the perspective of the story itself, questioning whether they, you know, uh, whether they're um, really good for the universe or whether right. they're um, doing the right thing or whether they're hiding things from people like uh and fairly recently they they've become you know outright shady you know they're still mm -hmm. like in charge of the green lanterns who are ostensibly good but like they're you know there there's um uh the the story sort of takes uh a um uh an sorry I'm having trouble finding my words here um a, a questioning approach to their their right. authority um, like they're in a yeah like they're not necessarily bad but it's at least kind of willing to say well does it is it good to have this all-powerful authority you know they they probably believe they're doing the right thing but you know you don't not everyone has to agree with that necessarily yeah. right um and and there's none of that in this it's it, it, it's they're doing the right thing and it's that simple and there's no there's no uh there's no questioning that you're not allowed to question that um and and it, it i think it reflects it, it very much reflects a mindset out of which superheroes probably evolved, actually, because the Lensmen have a lot in common with superheroes for obvious reasons, um, not just with the explicit 
you know, link to Green Lantern and some other superhero stuff. But the fact that they are, you know, the, the Uber mention and that they, they know what's best for everyone and they're moral paragons as well as having all the super, super abilities. Uh, more than that, they're always one step ahead. It's actually kind of interesting in a way because um, we're used to the idea that, well, the hero should be the underdogs and the bad guys should have... Uh, you know, should have a uh, should be a, a step or two ahead of the heroes, or at least they should always have an ace up their sleeve, and it should be like a, a real struggle. Um, there's very little of that, as I've described. The Adorians they have this power over the galaxy, and they've been manipulating events for billions of years. But the Arisians have been counteracting them for billions of years, and in fact, the Arisians uh, were managed were able to conceal their presence from the Adorians. Uh, the Adorians didn't know the Arisians were foiling their plans over and over again. Um, and then once the lens men take the center stage, it becomes like they go to bring down the pirates and the pirates are like, we have all this super technology. We will crush you all. And within a chapter or two, the heroes have, you know, set them on their back heels, usually destroyed their base, you know, killed all the bad guys and moved on to the next challenge. And they just keep working their way up the ladder. And the heroes are always, you know, one step ahead of the, of the bad guys. The bad guys, you know, will meet and plot and go, aha, we know what's up. And then the, the heroes will just show up and make mincemeat of their plans. There's very little of the sort of the, the heroes are the underdogs in this. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's that sort of idea of like the authority figures are right and they have all the power and they use it wisely. Right, like that—that that everything yeah. in superheroes and in Star Trek, you know, that's one of the underlying sort of assumptions of all these stories. You don't usually see the the heroes as the the, the plucky underdogs in that form of storytelling for a few decades after World War II. And it's yeah. again, it's almost certainly coming out of you know the politics of the real world at that time. America was, you know, flexing its muscles and it was so powerful and strong and it knew it was best for everyone. And that was just the the default. There there could still be moral questions. There could still be you know, uh, issues that would come up, but they're coming from the, the heroes are coming from a place of strength. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm reading the, uh, um, Scarlet Pimpernel books, uh, for a future episode. Um, and, uh, yeah, somewhat similar though. He's more, uh, of, um, cause he's fighting an entire government. Uh, but, um, uh, the 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 uh him always coming out on top and he always has plans and he's always yeah it it sort of reminded me of that a little bit right yeah and and i mean it's just like how in star like he trek very you know, rarely seems to be in danger because after a few books you realize oh yeah he's just gonna slip out of it like he always does you right know, <laughs> <laughs> you know the modern equivalent of that is rick sanchez the irony that uh <laughs> that but that's that's evolved in a very different direction but circled back around to that um, mm -hmm. But at least, like, they're usually put in a tight spot and are able to figure their way out of it. You know, it, it, when the, when with Superman, it's like he's got all the power in the world, and it's how does he use it wisely. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, Star Trek and, and the, Fed, the Starfleet, they've got the most powerful ships. They're the ones who come in to sort of act as the police on this uh, this planet, and they get to pass judgment on this planet. They make, you know, they may be threatened, but they're they're able to you know, to say, well, we're going to judge your civilization. And we're, the, 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 the tension is not that we don't have the power to do so much of the time. It's 
that you know well we can't interfere too much with your civilization because it'll mess everything up uh mm -hmm. right like we want to be benevolent overlords we don't want to just come down and start messing around with anything actually that's there is something in this series the lensman which is kind of interesting they do because whenever you have godlike entities who can only very remotely pull the strings um it, it does risk being kind of like, okay, but if they've got all this power and the stakes are so high, why don't they just come down and say, hey, everyone, here's our plan. Let's all do this and work together and do this, right? Like, why don't they just, why do they, why do they act cryptically? Why do they keep themselves at a remove? Um, and they make a pretty good case in this. He says, you know, one of the problems is we need to evolve humanity to the point where they're mentally powerful enough to properly use the lens to destroy the Adorians. Who are these mentally superpowered entities who you cannot challenge directly? They do make that clear. The lensmen will never be able to challenge the Adorians correctly, uh, directly until they've reached a certain level. Um, and, um, they said, if we come sort of come down and say, no, you guys aren't ready for it yet, you won't be ready for generations, we'll install a, and this is the word they use repeatedly, inferiority complex, which will ironically have the effect of, you know, uh, demoralizing them and preventing them from getting to the point where they need to be, where they can actually fight the Adorians. And and I thought that's actually, a, that's actually a clever point, I think, uh, that they, you know, it, it's true, you know, nobody wants to hear that they're not, you know, they're not good enough in and of themselves. And again, it's it's funny because the whole narrative goes against that. The lensmen are always the smartest, the best, <laughs> the, the 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 greatest. You know, you get you never get the sense they couldn't tackle the Adorians themselves. But they are kept back, and they and they sort of tackle. You know, they'll tackle one set of bad guys, usually a, an alien race, which will turn out to be the cat spots of another alien race who is another one like every there's a new level in every book. Uh, once you get to book three, it's kind of like, well, they defeat the 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 earth crime syndicate and then they defeat the uh this group called the uh the uh, the, the, the then they defeat the overlords of delgon then they defeat the ike who are this alien race then there's this other race that's been controlling the ike right, and ike, then above like, that the uh, like the president <laughs> e-i-c-h okay ike oh uh, might uh, be meant to sound german i guess again okay. this is this is initially written before World War II, and then after immediately and of afterwards. Of course, way before David Ike, because that would be a funny. <laughs> no, I C K, you know, I I E A C H. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's it's um, you know, the 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 book's kind of at war with itself in ways that I don't feel like Smith understood at all, or even wanted to delve into. Like I, this is a thing about the pulp. I mean, they they just they wanted to. They, they actually kind of resisted heavy thinking and moralizing in many ways. Although, again, it, like he'll just go on about politics, right? So, um, I, Yeah, but it, he doesn't think, you know, I, I'm guessing he doesn't think of that as politics. That's just the way things are, right? Well, he's really explicitly talking about a political, like an election. Like the Kinnison, uh, and the Kim Kinnison's ancestor, Rod the Rock Kinnison, uh, oh, ends God. up being the main, <laughs> the main uh, political figure who runs for president. And it's, they talk about how crucial it is that they win, uh, and that they, you know, they form the, you know, cosmopolitan, uh, galactic core of the, the lens core, uh, which is a politi political viewpoint of the 1950s. Like that was a big, Point. And, and in general, I would say, I, you know, despite all the problems with this, I would say I agree with that general idea, which is, you know, we have to, we have to uh, work together as a world rather than retreating into ourselves at, in the same way America couldn't just, you know, retreat into ourselves nationalistically. That was the big, uh, 
that was actually one of the big political questions before World War II. And that's, you know, it was definitively answered. And at this point, he was able to kind of punch punch backwards at that and say, it's stupid to say we should keep to ourselves and not get involved in world affairs. Um, but, you know, it's, it's uh, so he's got these very strong political ideas, but it's a lot of it is very much based in the idea of, well, we're going to present this as the natural and correct way and don't think about it too hard, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, it, it kind of goes back and forth about that. And that's that, that's what something you see, like, as we said, before World War II and 19th century, you'll, people just explicitly talk about their politics uh, that were existing in the real world. Here it becomes more like, we're just going to present this and this is the way things are. And rather than getting into, like, we're, we're going to sort of sneak around it and and present it. It's like how, you know, for instance, Westerns whitewashed the American West and presented this myth of the American West. Um, even when they weren't necessarily trying to be political, they created the narrative of the old West and they created this idea of like American masculinity and American politics that, you know, that, that they retconned into the actual past, which wasn't true. And it created all these problems, but it, it was good for, you know, for the reactionary element. It's the same way in this. And I don't think Smith was like a hardcore, like right wing kind of guy, but he had, he had, let me talk, let me tell you something about the sexism in this. As you mentioned, like it's very sexist. Uh, It really early on, he says that women will never be lensmen. They're not actually, uh, they don't have the qualities needed. Like aliens will have qualities they need in lensmen, even when they're very strange. Occasionally you'll find an alien of that race, but the, the women will never have the quality. They can help. They're useful, but they don't have the quality to be lensmen. But then, uh, Kim's, uh, uh, girlfriend, Clarissa, who's the, the end of this Arisian breeding program as well. (laughs) So they, they wanted Kim and Clarissa to get together. Mac, as she's known, Clarissa McDougall. Um, they form, uh, you know, the, the the bond, and and she's she actually becomes the first female lensman um, because they say she has these odd qualities that they they use they, they wouldn't have expected in a woman, but because of centuries and centuries and millennia of breeding, she's got what it takes to be a lensman. Then they have kids, and the final book, Children of the Lens, is about um, the third stage lensman who are the children of Kim and and Clarissa. Uh, one boy who's really the hero, but then there's four girls and the girls all have the same qualities and are mentally superior and are super powered. Uh, and the five kids together are, are the ones who were produced with the power to defeat the Adorians finally and, and have enough mental power to defeat them to the point where the Arisians actually say, well, now you've surpassed us and we're going to leave the galaxy forever. Uh, that's actually how it ends. So it really takes a turn you know, from from the original politics of, like, women can't be lensmen to, well, these four women are the most uh, powerful beings in the universe and they're the most uh, super-powered entities that could ever imagine. It's Solve still... sexism through eugenics. <laughs> kind of, yes. <laughs> they, they, it, it's still very gender-essentialist, and mm-hmm. it, but it kind of feels like he's trying to, like, walk back what he said in the earlier books, in a sense, I guess. Um, yeah. It is kind of like, well, they're not... They're unwomanly in that they have all this power, but they're still capable of having this power, as it were. Um, it's you know, it's a little confused, I would say. Yeah, um, this is just a joke, but I I uh, recently rewatched um, Plan Nine from Outer Space, which I've seen a bunch of times. But uh, that the speech that the uh, the lead alien gives, um, uh, I, I was just reminded earlier when you were talking about their their subtle manipulation. It is a better plan than coming down to Earth and saying, you're stupid mind, stupid, stupid. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. They're the they're uh, they're kind of like that. Actually, that's not okay. much of a stretch. I, I wouldn't. Again, I think Lensman had a big impact on fifties science fiction. Um, and I feel like uh, and sixties, and and I I feel like uh, Ed Wood was sort of the you know copy of a copy of a copy version of that of <laughs> of these super alien races who who sit in judgment of humanity. Yeah, you know, well, not he always was obviously and, going for the Earth stood still there, but yeah. Right, right. Well, but I mean, think I think even the Earth stood still was mm-hmm. drinking, drawing from the same well at least as this yeah. kind of thing. And I think like Twilight Zone had a common thing of aliens judging humanity and so forth. And I, I think that was that was where everyone's mind was at in the fifties and sixties. And I think Lensman was an early adopter of those ideas, even though it it took a different, you know, a less thoughtful talk on it. <laughs> um, but it, it's, well, it, you uh, know, it's there. Presumably, uh, a little more thoughtful than Ed Wood. I don't know. <laughs> yes, it is definitely. I mean, it's. Uh, I have to say, just in terms of the writing style of this, it's very. Um, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. Like, it, it. It's weird because, in a sense, there's long vignettes and long segments of this book you could cut out, and you wouldn't lose anything. Um, but it is also interesting that it's so heavily serialized. Like, it really does tell one long unfolding story, and it is the the sort of video game thing of, like I said, like in every book he beats a bad guy who then turns out like then he discovers the next level behind them of this secret organization they call themselves the Bosconians uh, but that's the Adorians pulling the strings ultimately of this uh, uber galactic tyrant in the quote second galaxy which is the galaxy that the Adorians come from I think it's a little he's a little vague on some of the science he tries to be scientifically accurate for the 1950s but I don't feel like he did that much he didn't like talk to physicists he just used a fairly decent layman's understanding of science at the time which is now of course very dated um but uh yeah there's a there's a you know, there's sort of a, a sense of working your way up the chain, and as I say, there's multi generations. Uh, it was he did go back and rewrite it, as I said, it didn't, it wasn't written that way from the start. But once you get to uh, Kim Kim Kimball and Kinnison and his adventures, uh, it does unfold as a serialized story that goes from A to B to C uh, in a way that you don't associate with that era. You know, you don't think of serialization in in sci-fi and popular culture as much but this really is okay book one book two book three book four and you have to read them in order um okay. yeah it's 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 interesting uh, heinlein because of course heinlein was a good pal of smith's um he apparently said that smith told him uh of his plans for another book after children of the lens but children of the lens is a pretty definitive ending to the series like it's it's like i say the they defeat the adorians they've achieved the next level of humanity the Arisians say well so long we're, we're taking off because you know humans are capable of policing themselves now and they don't need us like that feels like an ending it's hard to see what the next step would have been uh from that point essentially um so it is actually really interesting and and, and you see like technology developing throughout the series um it's it's it, in that sense, it's kind of neat. It's it's primitive compared to the kind of serialization we see nowadays. But it is it is interesting that you know you didn't get heavily serialized no, no, uh, narratives and a lot of things until later. Although you know I guess Foundation series is is uh, serialized and there's a few others. But um, but yeah, this feels like a comic book in many ways before comics really took on. Well, this galactic transmission is reaching its end, so everyone put down your decoder rings. I've been uh, 85th stage Lance Corporal Adam Prosser, retired, and the godlike galactic intelligence inhabiting Philip Rice. 
Uh, thanks, as always, to engineer and producer Alex Ross with his nth dimensional mind and the musical stylings of Jack Negaverse, Fyrick. Uh, just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, which helps us maintain law and order across the galaxy via paying for our hosting costs. Uh, if you subscribe to either of us, we'll name you members in good standing of the Junior Lensman Club of Arcturus 4, and you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations and comics, among other things. Uh, just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, 1L, or Adam Prosser, 2S's, or go to neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe for the links. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me or Spear Hafok A, that's Hafok with an F, for Philip. So until next time, citizens, stay on the right side of the law or we'll drop a planet on you. <laughs> <laughs>